Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks of all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. Today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling historic church that functions much like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations. This podcast is an audio recording of weekly sermons. In the summer, we've been focusing on spirituality, new and ancient ways we can connect with God. We had worship in the park, at Wright Park last week, where we looked at the practice of reading scripture in community. We didn't have a sermon because we were busy reading scripture together, so I thought I might put something up from a while ago. What you're about to hear is based on a sermon I preached last fall as a part of our annual season of creation. Last year, we spent a month looking at the fascinating ways that the Bible uses imagery of birds to describe how God relates to creation. I chose this topic today, um, or this particular sermon, because like many of you, I've been mourning the fresh wave of gun violence and the racist rhetoric that has been fueling that violence. Yesterday, as I read about white supremacism in the Pacific Northwest, I was struck by the amount of Christian language that's used in white supremacist communities. It made me horrified and frustrated and embarrassed and not as shocked as I wish I were. Throughout Christian history, the church has struggled to speak out against racism as we struggle with our own ideas about whiteness and purity. And this sermon, while it's not a sermon about racism or gun violence, it's sort of about some of the things that underpin those in the church. And I'll also say this sermon and some of the research comes from Debbie Blue's excellent book, Remember the Birds. So I hope you find her insight as helpful as I have. Now let's get to it and take a look at the bird most closely associated with Christianity, the dove. Of all the birds in the Bible, the dove seems to be the most holy. This begins in Genesis. If y'all remember, you know, Noah sends out a dove from the ark, and the dove returns with an olive branch. And then throughout the Hebrew Bible, the dove is a symbol of purity. Then at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Right, and from this point forward, the dove is the most common depiction of the Holy Spirit in art and in Christian thought. I mean, I did a quick Google image search for the Holy Spirit, and I got just tons of pictures of doves. And that's a lot of attention for a little bird. So what's so special about the dove? Well, the dove represents purity. According to Old Testament or Hebrew Bible law, Levitical law, the dove was the only bird that was an acceptable sacrifice in the Jewish temple. It was the only pure bird. And 
folks needed a pure sacrifice to get right with God or to be holy. Because the word holy simply means set apart. And the, the holiness code was a way to live life set apart from God. There were 613 laws that one had to follow to make sure they were not unclean. They didn't eat unclean food, touch unclean people, or act in unclean ways. If someone broke one of these laws, they had to go to the temple and sacrifice a pure, unblemished animal so they could be clean again. Holiness in, in the Hebrew Bible was all about being apart, being different from what was unclean. And this made the dove a big deal because they were the most common and most affordable sacrifice, right? And they were, they were the people's way to get clean. So doves became a symbol for purity. And still today, the dove is a symbol for innocence and purity. But not because we sacrifice them, but because they're white. They have no spots no imperfections. And I mean, we wouldn't say it like that because then we might have to face some of our own colorism. Saying something is pure, saying something is better because it's white, might expose the church's struggle with whiteness, our presumption that whiteness means purity. And we're far too fragile to say that in public. But, but why else do we think of pure doves as white? I mean, how often do you see the image of a pure brown dove? Which is pretty ironic. Because in the Old Testament, doves were not chosen for their whiteness or anything about the their physical appearance. The reason that doves were chosen as a sacrificial bird is that they were easy to catch. They wouldn't be hurt or damaged while being captured, so they would be unblemished. It wasn't about their markings. It was about not being hurt while being captured. And the doves in the Bible, they weren't white. You know what? They weren't even doves yet. They wouldn't become doves for another thousand years. And this is where things get really interesting. But to understand this, we have to go back uh, to medieval England and learn just a little bit about the story of English. In the fifth century, England was settled by a group called the Anglo-Saxons. And they spoke, it was like in early version of German called Old English. So what you need to know is that they spoke something like German in England for about 500 years until a group called the Normans invaded England. And the Normans replaced the Anglo-Saxon rulers in the city and they tried to make everybody speak French. But that really only worked in the cities. So for about a hundred years, Folks spoke something like German in the countryside and something like French in the cities. Well, eventually the Normans left, 
but their influence remained as the two languages melded together. And we can still see this in the English language we have today. Many of our common English nouns have a word in French and a word in German. So, so, so hear this out. In the fields where people spoke German, they would refer to a cow, which came from the German word Koch. But once it gets to the table of the Normans, it becomes beef, like the French word boeuf. Same with chickens, kirken, in the field, and poultry, poulet, on the table. Children run around the yard, but we have infants in the high courts. And of course, in the rural countryside, we have the word dove that comes from the Germanic word and what the French called the very same bird who was hanging out in the cities, pigeon, which simply means young dove. Because pigeons and birds, or I'm sorry, because pigeons and doves are essentially the same bird. The distinction between pigeons and doves is linguistic. Pigeon is the French name, German. A dove is the German name. But there is not a biological difference. Pigeons and doves are all a part of the same family. Their pigeon and dove are interchangeable names that can be applied to any of the 310 species in the column Bidet bird family. There are no official differences between pigeons and doves. And as it turns out, Leviticus 14 tells us that pigeons or doves are acceptable sacrifices because, again, there was no difference between them. Even the dove at Jesus' baptism was in all likelihood dark gray with a green violet neck. It would have been called a rock dove. And if you, as you listen to this, if you hop on your phone and Google rock dove, you'll see something that looks almost exactly like a pigeon. It was just an ordinary bird that became the ancestors of our common pigeon. The same bird that gathers in our parks and nests in our church's belfry and poop all over our cars. Same color, same bird. But we don't think about doves and pigeons the same way. We put all of our positive attributes on innocent, pure doves and make them a symbol for Christianity. Meanwhile, we put all of the negative attributes of pigeons. We think of them as dirty, gross pests. We refer to them as rats with wings. But they're the same basic bird. The difference between pigeons and doves is in our head. It's one we made up. We divide them up and say that the ones that are white, they are rare and pure and holy. These ones over here that aren't pure and white, they're just grain, gray and plain and messy and dirty, definitely not holy. We imagine a pure white dove hovering over Jesus. So when we see a white dove on our windowsill, we think of it as an omen 
or a sign of heavenly presence. But a pigeon? Who cares? They're definitely not holy. Our symbols for what is holy tend to be like this. Things that are set apart. Things that are not ordinary. Things that are pure and white and pretty. We, we think that's what God wants. We think that's how God is. But that's not how God is. That's not what God wants. Jesus came to earth to show us the physical presence of God. And Jesus is not a pure white beacon set apart from the dirty, ordinary people. Jesus was born in a manure-filled stable. He was often without a home. He hung out with folks who had open sores and contagious diseases. Jesus was anything but set apart. My favorite part of Debbie Blue's chapter on pigeons and doves is where she points out that Jesus was almost reverse holy. He was the opposite of set apart. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he immediately violates the laws that separate the clean and the unclean. He doesn't care about who and what is pure and impure. God in the flesh is like a revelation of non-separation. It's God with all of us. When Jesus shows us what holiness looks like, looks a lot more like a pigeon than a dove. Gray and everywhere, more than a little dirty. The biblical symbol of God's spirit is not a pure white dove, but an ordinary pigeon that we see it every day. The kind of pigeon that's waiting for us outside the church. We might be busy looking for something white, but the Spirit of God is all around us. So I wonder how it might affect us if we imagine the Holy Spirit as a pigeon. What if we realized that God's Spirit is not something rare and pure, but totally ordinary, so ordinary that we don't even notice it? What if every dirty pigeon we see reminds us that God's spirit chooses to dwell in the most ordinary of birds? Could we see that God's presence dwells in the most ordinary of people and the most ordinary of lives? I, <laughs> I actually believe this is true. I mean, I believe God's presence infests our city and our lives, whether or not we welcome it. I believe God shows up in the ordinary because God loves the ordinary. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to imply that the church's centuries of complicity with racism is about to be fixed by seeing pigeons as a symbol for God. Confronting racism and white supremacy needs a systematic approach that addresses the structures that hide and normalize white privilege and racial bias. We need to make changes that extend beyond personal spiritual growth. And yet, I'll say that the practice of seeing the 
God in the pigeon on my windowsill has made a difference for me. I, I preached this sermon like a year ago, and I've never seen a pigeon quite the same way. It's a constant reminder for me of how often we miss the presence of God of how frequently we disregard people who don't meet our expectations of purity or holiness. It's a reminder of how unexamined ideas shapes our belief around what it is to be holy. So I encourage you to be on the lookout for God. As you go through your days, look up in the sky, look around the city, and see that the Holy Spirit is there. We often miss it, but God is with us. Amen.